I'm in my 20s or maybe my 30s. Can't remember simple things. I left out my groceries, but as I'm sinking, I find myself thinking. Not of death or the world's great design, it's of all the books I read when I was nine. Okay, let's get right into it. This one is going to be a lot shorter than what I had planned. Um, just because I want to add some relief, you guys. I know that I've been having like over hour long or like 45 minutes and there's no telling how long each episode is going to be. Um, but you know, like, I think at the beginning I kind of described this as sort of like an English class and I've had, uh, you know, a friend reach out to me too and mention this reminds me of an English class that, that I've wanted to read, I don't know, just an English class where basically we read what we want instead of the required classic books or whatnot. Um, so I guess, you know, in a sense, like an English class, the t today's kind of going to be like a, like a movie day. It's going to be kind of short and brief. Um, and most, mostly because I know things are kind of hectic right now about stuff and there's a lot going on, um, in the country right now, but I, I also recognize listening back on these recordings that I think I use a lot of time summarizing these books. Um, and maybe even, you know, summarizing parts that maybe might not be super necessary. And it's mostly just because I, I nerd out and I think all of it is necessary. But we, we, I'm trying to come up with this correct structure for you guys where basically we're going to be focusing on the key points here instead of the entire book. And, um, you know, if you, if you want like a proper summary of the parts that go in and out or whatever, then uh, you can feel free to do that with the show or reading the book or finding like a summarization online about it. Um, but but basically, I just want to add some relief and kind of make this one a little bit more brief and talk about the main points, especially because I think some of some of Lemony Snicket's ideas are kind of repetitive. Um, not I haven't really seen the same lesson twice so far, um, but I mean repetitive in the sense where he critiques a lot of structures that don't normally go critiqued um, by the majority. So um, and, I, and I think, you know, that's where the term silent majority comes out. Or maybe the bystander effect, or it's just, you know, Lemony Snicket's just trying to call out things that should be called out, or things that are inconsistent in the structure that people assume are inconsistent or are in favor of them, and that's not always the case. So, um, you know, I think we can we can agree on the same page at least that in in terms of progressiveness, Lemony Snicket is very often trying to get children or his readers to try and second guess the structures that they put so much faith into and to take a second look at it instead of just saying, you know, oh, like this is meant to protect, the law is meant to protect us, for example. This is a main issue here in the Vile Village, uh, book seven, uh, for the series of unfortunate events where it's like, you know, we're hey, the law is meant to protect us or the law is meant to keep us safe. And it's like, it's meant to do that, but it doesn't do that all the time, you know? And I think Lemony Snicket just tries to fill in those gray areas. So I, th I, we can agree on the, on the main points that Lemony Snicket tries to make is is filling in those gray areas by announcing that there are gray areas in between these structures. So instead of it saying, well, it's supposed to be this way, or you know, police officers are supposed to be good. Okay, well, not all of them are good then because they're humans and they're people and there are bad people that exist. You know, or, oh, um, the president is meant to, I'm talking about relevant things right now because I feel like it's necessary um, and, and we'll just dive into the book and stuff. But it, Lemony Snicket, I feel like if this kind of stuff was going on as he was writing these books, um, you know, he would, uh, there, there would be a whole other series with different lessons that he wants to reiterate or bring up. But, you know, it's those simple ideas where it's, 
it would be really nice if everyone was a good person and if everyone did the right thing and if everyone cared about what happened to people. But that's not the case. People are not like that. People can be greedy. People can be unkind. People can be very selfish. People can hoard money. People can be afraid and take it out on other people's rights. People can not think of other people in any circumstance. No one's forcing them to do that. It would be really nice if that was something that existed and all people are good, but not all people are good. And I'm not saying these people are bad, but pe these people are human is the, is the main moral of the story. And I feel like if Lemony Snicket was around um, to, to write this series as these events right now in 2020, 2021, 2019, 18, 17, 16, um, he would have a lot to say about well, who are we putting our blind faith in and why do we trust automatically that they are good people and that they are in favor of things? And that's, that's where things are like, well, you know, they, they look like us or they speak like us, so we trust them more. Um, and I'm not saying you, you can't trust people. I'm not saying that. But there's, there's a difference between having trust and faith in people and like having blind faith and trust in people, which is always a scary thing to do. Um, and, and I think that's the main, the main message here of the entire series is this blind faith that people assume that maybe kids are taken care of or that all guardians want to take good care of their kids or all people have children or minorities or people who are bullied, for instance, or, you know, let's just give like vague examples. We, we want to assume that maybe we've grown past the age of bullies. That would that would be like a very, very small, small example. This is obviously not what I'm trying to say about 2020 and 2021, but I'm just going to give this simple example, okay? We'd like to assume that we're in a day and age where if someone were to get bullied, then everyone would feel it in their hearts to stand up for this person, you know? And that that's why it's so shocking to some people too if it's like, this kid over here committed suicide because he was bullied so aggressively for years and no one stood up. Those kind of stories are astonishing, are always astonishing. And it's always, it's not astonishing and like, oh, you know, like I'm surprised that this still happens. But to most people, some people, it is astonishing to that. If they're not in that environment, they haven't been bullied or they haven't been in a situation where they've had to step in several times to protect someone from being bullied or they're not just there all the time and they see the ins and outs of the internet. They don't know all of that stuff. It is astonishing to them. And it's astonishing to me even sometimes when I hear stories like that because I think, Really? We're still at that part where people are still trying to fight against moral justices and injustice. It's insane. And that's what makes things, this, this is where the relevancy will come in, you guys. I'm sorry I'm getting really heated up and everything, but I think this is really important. Um, but this is where like maybe an instance like To Kill a Mockingbird, a book that we all know and love and were forced to read in English class. It's if you have not read it, no shame in that. Go ahead and go go find it. There's a movie and everything. There's there's plays. There's musicals. I'm sure whatever. Um, but the main the main message of that is that oh man, this is there's there's some some reassurance in reading those books because it's fiction. Um, but that the main power and the main tool of fiction is to retell stories um, that that have truth in them. And that's what makes fiction stories powerful is when something happens and it's realistic that this kind of thing would happen. Um, and it's, and it's relevant. 
So, and, and I bring up To Kill a Mockingbird because that story is, is astonishing. That story is very upsetting and very sad about how someone was wrongly accused and how this person stood before a whole jury, wanted justice, and was given absolutely none, even given all of the evidence and all of the tools. This man was given every single tool that he had in order for a fair trial to happen and for him to be set free, and that did not happen. And, it, and it's based on the pure fact that people are evil. And if there are multiple people in a spot that are evil, and they're in the position where they make decisions for people, then we're screwed. So it's just kind of like, and it's just, it's just to say this too, there's no, there's no moral check before leadership positions. This is all on democracy, all on voting. And it's very comforting to try and think that most people are good and have the same ideals as you and are against slavery or are against um, abuse or are against, you know, like j just basic, basic things where you're like, yeah, uh, kids should be able to eat. Yeah, kids should not be beaten when they're when they misbehave. Kids should be spoken to like like humans. Oh, yeah, you know, it's just like these basic, basic things where you're just like, yeah, you would just not do that if you were a good person. And I, and I just want to, I just want to re-emphasize, I just want to emphasize this, you guys, I'm getting so like worked up over this, but I'm just get, I just want to emphasize this because the main point Lemony Snicket wants to make right here is that there's always going to be gray areas in addition to the black and white. Where there are good people, there will always be bad people and there will always be a mix of people in between. So you need, we need to stop assuming that people have the same ideas as us and stop assuming that people are always going to make the right choice because there's a lot of blurred areas in between of why people make the decisions they need to make and sadly some of those decisions are in favor of the opposite side some people lean closer towards the the dark side instead of the light side um and this this is a common a common theme in every single story you know it's in it's in star wars it's in harry potter this is the common hero's arc basically um but it's, it's in Star Wars, it's in Harry Potter, it's in Kingdom Hearts, very blatantly, if you've ever read that, where people are swayed to go to the dark side and then go back to light. We'd like to think everyone is like Sora and wants justice for everyone. We want to think everyone is like Luke Skywalker and wants justice for everyone. We like to think that everyone is like Yoda. We'd like to think that everyone is like Harry Potter and Hermione and Ron, where they're trying their best to make sure people aren't dying and that there's injustices and that people are fairly treated and have the same rights as everyone else. And that's, people aren't all like that. People are not all like that. So Lemony Snicket is trying to teach us how to use our best judgment in that. Ugh, I'm sorry. I'm getting so like worked up. It's very frustrating to think like that. And it's very, I, I experience this almost every single day where I have a conversation with someone, especially now with all this political stuff going on. I have a conversation with someone where they think, I had a con I'm trying to I'm trying not to be upset over things but th these are strangers that I've had conversations with because I always want to you know I want to understand people and why why they've chosen one side over the other and I've I've had this conversation before with people where maybe they talk about yeah slavery was bad but also that civil war took away the state's rights and that's a it's a complicated area but it's also not you guys any any good person would say I would always favor the rights of someone not being enslaved over the rights of someone whatever you know we, we got in this basically we ended up getting in this discussion where it was like someone said well I don't want someone to 
you know, I don't want the government to step in for things like that. I don't want the government to say what I can and can't do. And I said, okay, well, that comes with, you know, pros and cons. What examples are you talking about? And this person said, I don't want the government to tell me I can't do something specifically just because, you know, like some people voted on it. And I said, okay, but realistically, would you not want the government to be able to step in and say that you can't be enslaved? Is that, does that sound like a fair trade? And she's like, yeah, yeah, you know, that's true. That's true. So it's kind of, oh, let me ignore this call real quick. Um, so it's, it's kind of this, this blurred area, you guys, where you have to think about other human beings and their decency and, and what kind of protection it is. And there, there, there is, there is human, human rights. I hope you guys, it's, it's complicated. I know it comes from a long history of people, what people were taught by their parents and their grandparents and how people were raised and what nations they came from and what flags they represent and different things like that. But it would, it would be the dream come true if we just progressed to this age where human rights were always the number one cause, saying people cannot be enslaved, people cannot be fired for discriminatory reasons, people cannot be told that they can't get married for discriminatory reasons, just because, you know, it's just, likewise, there should not be any laws that tell people that they can do something because they believe it's right in their own mindset, saying I should be able to own a slave because it's my right and you should not be able to tell me what to do versus the other end, which is the slave or a black person saying you should not be able to do this for me because I am a human being. So you should likely protect my rights as well. It's this, it's this blur, this blurred line that people like to get confused on, but I hope that people start thinking instead of saying, you know, the, the government is attacking on my rights with this. They're able to look likewise on the other end where they say, where they are able to see people are being attacked and people are made minorities and people are wrongly discriminated against and wrongly um, convicted like in To Kill a Mockingbird or whatever because of, because of other things as well. The government is meant to protect. Um, it may not always at all times, but that we, we're hoping to get to this point where it protects you overall and your safety and your rights and your, your will to live and just to be safe. You know, I hope safety is the number one cause and reason that people vote and people talk about things. Um, I know it's not always, but I, I just want to, you know, and I, I don't, I don't know Lemony Snicket personally. I don't know Daniel Handler. But I would, I would assume if he, if he, given the kind of lessons that were given so far, where he's critiquing structures that don't often go critiqued by people or who are blindly trusted by people, um, he would be on the same boat where he's trying to emphasize why do we believe this person over this person, or why do we believe all of this given the evidence? Um, gosh, sorry guys, I, I got really heated in that, but I just, I just think it's an important lesson, and I think it's something that Lemony Snicket would want to, to bring up. Lemony Snicket, I don't say Daniel Handler, I say Lemony Snicket, this character that, that Daniel Handler has made. Um, I think it's something that he would want to bring up, but <sighs> okay. Like I said, this is going to be, this is going to be a short one. We're going to go on for maybe about 15, 20 more minutes and then we'll wrap things up. Um, but basically, okay, we're, we're in, um, you can skip ahead if you want. We're at 15 minutes now. Um, we're going to be talking about the Vile Village, which is book seven. Uh, I think this is important because this is another critique, I think, on the law that Lemony Snicket is trying to get at. I think we, we've discussed this in the first episode as well when we were first talking about the bad beginning and talking about the background and how everything is set up and how everything works. 
But our first glimpse of the law not being not doing a good job at protecting people is when um, is when Count Olaf can get away with marrying Violet in some weird way because things are technically not illegal and he's technically doing things according to the law. So he's technically not a criminal and he could have gotten away with it if no one stepped in for the moral for the moral part of it. Um, and no and no one did. It ended up being the Baudelaire's trying to prove this and everything got disputed after that. But that was our first critique of the law that Lemony Snicket gave us, which I think is the main thing that he is maybe passionate about uh, critiquing the most if he brings it up a second time. So the second time we see the law again in this book in the Vile Village, um, again, I'm not going to give like a super lengthy description, but the kids, the, the kids end up in this village. They, they join this village because it's VFD. They assume that maybe it has some clues about where their friends are at or where Count Olaf might have taken their friends or where Count Olaf is so they can capture him. Um, they spend their time trying to discover what's going on in this town and trying to put clues together to try and figure out where the quagmire triplets are at. And um, it's, it's this place where there's a, there's a lot of different rules. It's, it's kind of like it's micromanagement kind of kind of laws. Um, there are things that say you cannot, you know, disrespect the birds of the town, which are crows. You cannot disrespect um, their feathers or use them as quills. And inventions are not allowed. And also, you know, something stupid like hot fudge sundaes are to have no more than 15 nuts each. You know, it's again with Lemmy Snicket trying to mock, mock this kind of thing and over-exaggerate in the way that we've discussed many times before. Um, but basically, there's this point where someone brings forth someone who they believe to be Count Olaf. The town has been notified of Count Olaf. Count Olaf is in the papers everywhere and everyone needs to find him. Um, and the town comes across this man who matches the description of Count Olaf. So they say he has a unibrow and look, he has a tattoo on his ankle. So we need, this is the guy, We and our, our punishment here is going to be death penalty, basically. We're going to burn him at the stake. Um, and the kids are relieved that they've caught Count Olaf. They go to look, it's not Count Olaf, and they say, this man is not him. We are, we are the victims, and we're letting you know this is not the guy that that has been hurting us. This is not Count Olaf. This is a guy that matches your description, but he is not the person. And... They don't take them seriously because they are kids. There's there's multiple multiple things that the Lemony Snicket is critiquing. Nothing that we're unfamiliar with at this point. We we've already known. We've already talked about how Lemony Snicket critiques kids not being taken seriously, or maybe the this kind of sense that kids are unable to tell the truth any more or any less than adults can or cannot. Um, in this case, the kids are telling the truth, obviously, and they're talking about this and they're saying this is not the person nobody takes them seriously because they are kids so they try to have them removed and they basically proceed and say okay we're gonna we're gonna give this guy the death penalty the next day um meanwhile the kids are receiving little bits of poetry and couplets um hidden around the town to that are written by isadora so they're trying to solve this as a kind of like a side quest it's their main quest but the main thing i want to talk about is this this murder of this guy here um, so the, the kids try to come up with, with a way to try and set this man free. They don't, they don't know anything about this guy at all, but they're very distraught over the fact that he is about to die for the sake of they, of a false accusation. He's not the person who has done the claim. They have no idea who he is, but they know for certain that he is not Count Olaf. So they go through this whole journey. They, they, they research, they do all their, their homework and everything. And the solution that Klaus comes up with is he says, we can use something called mob mentality 
which is basically we can try and get people to agree with us because they will not listen to truth. So we're going to try and profess the truth in a crowd-like manner and hopefully people will agree with us. They try to do that the following morning before the execution, but it turns out this guy has been murdered in his jail cell um, overnight. So there's he can't justify himself. He can't say anything. He can't defend himself. He is a silent silent victim of the law. Um, it's, it's not it's not a funny thing, but it, it is scary how how similar this is to the situation in To Kill a Mockingbird, um, where this innocent man is, you know, wrong, wrongly convicted, placed in a jail cell, and because there was not a good person defending the cell, someone came in and murdered him themselves. So this guy, this guy is dead. Um, if if you're not if you're not familiar with To Kill a Mockingbird, this the situation I'm talking about is when um, Atticus Finch is the lawyer and he's he's you know he's defending his defendant and they've basically all agreed that he is guilty so he has to die overnight or whatever he has to die the next morning with the death penalty or they're not sure and all all of this horrible it's this whole mess of the law a whole mess of the law and court and the jury and a jury of his peers and they're not a jury of his peers it's just it's this whole mess of stuff going on but basically every night where the trial is continuing on he this defendant has to be not the defendant, the offender or whatever the proper term is, but the guy who is assumed to be the assault assaulter or the person who has committed the assault has to stay in the jail cell overnight and stay there until they have come to a conclusion, basically, and then has to appear to court the next day. And then they discuss whatever, go back home. Everyone gets to go back home except for him. He has to go to this jail cell and stay there overnight. Um, at one point, Atticus Finch stays over, he stays at the jail cell because he feels like because people are so hateful against this guy who is very, very innocent, he feels like this guy will be attacked in his jail cell no matter what. That justice will not come from the court or the law. That justice in quotation marks and injustice will come from the hands of the people themselves. So he's he spends the night at the jail cell just guarding the door. And sure enough, there is one night where a mob of people come and they're there to kill him. They're there to kill the guy before the before the um, the guilty and not guilty and before all of that is announced. They want to hurry up and get that over with. They just don't believe this guy no matter what. And they think that he's horrible and it's just pure hatred, pure evil. Atticus Finch sends them away. And if the kids were not there, Atticus Finch would be dead as well. Um... The, the reason that this mob did not beat up Atticus Finch, because he's he's against them too, because he's defending this man who he believes is innocent, um, they would have murdered him too. It's, it's heavily implied that they were perfectly okay with committing a crime against Atticus Finch, even though he was their neighbor and their friend, just because of the pure hatred that they had for the man behind the bars who was innocent, given every single circumstance of evidence, of evidence um, given, basically. Um... But anyways, the, the kids show up and the guys feel awkward because she's like, oh, you know, little, um, gosh, I'm, I'm forgetting everyone's names because I'm overwhelmed, you guys. But basically the two, the two kids, um, Jem and, Jem and Scout, uh, Jem and Scout are there and Scout's like, hey, uh, Mr. So-and-so, I know you and blah, blah, blah. And you're, you know, I gave your son food the other day. Aren't you guys poor? You know, it's just like a very innocent conversation. She doesn't even know really what she's trying to say or that it's embarrassing for someone in that time to hear that in front of a bunch of people that they can't afford food or that their kids needed extra lunch or didn't have a lunch or something like that. Um, 
you know, I don't, I don't remember exactly what the conversation was that Scout gave. It was very innocent and they felt bad, human, humanized again once more and they all leave, leave that area alone and they don't attack anybody. Um, but, you know, so I don't know if this, this is obviously a different scenario because this is not an issue of race, uh, but this is an issue of just wrong, wrong lawful convictions. Um, so... Anyways, this, they show up, this guy is already dead, so they can't really save him. They feel very upset about this. Um, and the kids are accused somehow. Someone has framed them. Count Olaf appears, dressed as a detective. And he says, look what I found at the cri at the scene of the crime. And it's, you know, a lens from some round glasses that I found. And these look like they belong to Klaus. And Klaus is like, but my glasses are literally on my face and I they're not missing lenses those can't be mine mine are have been on my face and i don't have an extra pair of glasses whose lenses are those and then that gets ignored obviously people are like oh good point good point with that mob mentality someone yells out that's a great point and then the crowd agrees and same thing with violet he pulls out a ribbon and he says look at this ribbon who else has a ribbon and violet says my ribbon is literally my pocket right here and i've never owned a ribbon that looks that color and that shade Everyone would know that if they've ever saw me use my ribbon. I've had the same ribbon my entire life. I don't use that kind of crap. And of course people are like, hmm, ribbon, ribbon. Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. There's a slight possibility that these kids might have been an accomplice and murdered, whatever. And Count Olaf ends up pinning it on the infant, on Sunny, and says the murderer must have been Sunny. And then the kids must have been the accomplice. And everyone somehow agrees with that. It's so, so stupid. And I don't, I don't know if it's because... You know, it's obviously not because of evidence and their sense of judgment. It's because of that blind trust in that detective that is saying that, who is saying, hey, you know, like, this looks suspicious. And people are like, hmm, hmm, hmm. Even given the evidence, they say, but the evidence says otherwise. And it's, oh, you, whatever. You guys, you guys get what I'm saying. Basically, these kids are wrongly convicted. They're thrown in jail. They chill out there. I mean, summary is that they somehow break out. They find the quagmires are trapped inside of a fountain in the city. They try to run away. Hector is, who is their new guardian, very kind. I'll talk about him briefly as well. Hector's their new guardian. He's built this hot air balloon and wants them to come up into the hot air balloon and live with them. Um, and it's perfectly sustainable for years and years and years. I think he says something like this hot air balloon that I've invented can last hundreds of years and there's hundreds and hundreds of years worth of food and supplies in there and everything would be great you know so they find they find the quagmire triplets and they run up over to the hot air balloon they're getting chased by this mob mentality who thinks that they're all murderers now for some reason and they find the hot air balloon they start to climb up the quagmire triplets are ahead of them so they get into the hot air balloon um and some you know they're being shot at with like harpoon guns and all this crazy all this crazy shit's going down but basically the this this part made me emo this part made me emo but basically there's the the, uh, the Baudelaire the Baudelaire siblings are so close to getting into the hot air balloon um and then they realize as the hot air balloon is rising that they could if they fall they would they would die if it rose any higher and they fell that they would not survive um if they if they just fell to their death and the crows the crows of this this village they all get in the way and all this crazy stuff starts happening someone shot at the ladder and the ladder is starting to unravel and fall apart and violet is like almost sobbing at this point and she looks down at her siblings and she says we have to climb back down we can't go up with our friends and we can't go up with hector because if we go up we could die so we need to go back down 
if we if we keep climbing, we're gonna die. We're not gonna make it if we keep climbing. And all of them say like, well, is there another solution? Maybe we can climb the tree. Maybe we can do this, this, this. All other options are not an option anymore. Given the circumstances, the tree is, is no longer stable because it's covered with crows and the ladder is unraveling and the airplane is getting, not the airplane, the hot air balloon is getting higher and higher. There's no way that they're gonna make it up there in time and without, without killing everyone. So she favors the safety of her siblings instead and says, you guys, we have to go back down. We cannot go up. So they end up climbing back down onto the floor. The the quagmire triplets throw down their notes and let them know at least at least use the notes that we've learned from being with Count Olaf or whatever. Count Olaf is revealed. Um, all all this fiasco happens again. Where you know you'll never catch me, and he runs away with Esme, who is now his girlfriend apparently. Which you know poor poor what's his face his his husband. So um. Anyways, bottom line, this is, you know, same kind of ending that we've always had. But the the main lesson, I think, in this book, gosh, guys, I'm so I'm so overworked. And I apologize in advance for how, you know, how quick this is, especially if you listen to my podcast in double time. Sorry if you might have had like an aneurysm listening to this sped up. But basically, the, the main thing that I would like to talk about is like the sense of judgment. There are, there are a few shout outs real quick. There are a few shout outs and illusions that Lemmy Snicket makes, for example, um, the crows. Um, we all know crows more commonly is known as like a bad omen and like bad luck and bad things ahead, predicting, predicting bad fortune, bad, unfortunate events, basically. Um, that's what, that's what crows are you, are typically known for. Um, and, and they all roost in this big tree that's in Hector's backyard, and it's called the Nevermore Tree. Um, and, and, you know, I think most people would kind of at least recognize Nevermore as being a familiar term and associating it with Edgar Allan Poe, who uses that in his uh, famous story, famous poem, famous story of the raven. Um, raven Raven is similar to the crow. The, the reason that these things are similar to is, I think Poe has is, Poe is said before in an explanation of this this poem of the raven that he has chosen the raven instead of a parrot in the setting of the story because a raven is darker and it matched the it matched the tone of the story more so likewise i feel like the crows are also representative of that but nevermore real briefly nevermore is like a phrase that is said in this poem and it's basically a symbol of grief and a symbol of like it's just it's just this this pain painful grief that is pecking at um the narrator the entire time that he that he can no longer ignore he tries to distract himself with with grief from the grief um with other things and the the main point of the story is that he cannot and that things are never going to be the same because there's this persistent thought at the back of his head about this grief about this loved one that he's lost um and and likewise this can be applied in in this story in many in many different areas probably in all six or all seven of the books that we've read so far um it can be brought up with the quagmire triplets and being separated from them in the hot air balloon nevermore things are never going to be the same and they miss them it could be the um the repetitiveness of them knowing that things are never going to be the same after every book and also because of their house burning down and their parents dying and there's always this nagging grief at the back of their heads 
which we see in almost every single book where they say they miss their parents or sometimes they just get really sad moments where they miss something or they miss Uncle Monty or they feel sorry for Aunt Josephine. Um, but there, there's this constant mourning and constant grief that kind of follows these kids around. So that's, that's that reference to Edgar Allan Poe with the Nevermore Tree. Um, if you have not read the poem, I highly recommend it. Go ahead and read it. And there's plenty of sources out there as well that um, explain each verse and break it down about what kind of things professors and um, professors and scholars, I don't know, have, have come to an agreement, people who have researched Poe before, about what kind of messages that he was trying to get at and what kind of symbolism he uses. So we can go ahead and, you know, read that on the side if you'd like sometime and go over what kind of messages that Poe has with that directly. Um, I think I think it's more of just kind of like a shout out than a clue about what kind of messages that he's trying to do, which is like common for his kind of symbolism. But anyways, the other thing I would I would just like to talk about briefly is this new guardian named Hector. He's very skittish and very afraid. Um, and the kids are hesitant when they first meet Hector simply because they have a record of not being able to trust people. So they're kind of hesitant and they're watching him and they're not quite sure if they can trust him and they want to trust him, but they're not sure. And, you know, they even say, well, we feel like he's a good person. And Klaus and Violet come to this conclusion where they're like, yeah, but even if we feel that way, there's no way of knowing for sure. Um, but I, I just, I only want to bring this up because this ties into the whole using your own judgment kind of thing. Um, where basically the, the way that these kids figure out that they can trust Hector is through going through a series of like green flags. We, we've all heard of red flags and green flags when you're in relationships or in friendships. And if someone makes you uncomfortable or feel unsafe in some way, then it's like, oh, that's a red flag. That's weird that they asked me to do that. Or that's weird that they're not okay with doing this or, you know, simple things like that. But likewise, these kids are looking for green flags in their guardians now. So they see things like Hector blows on their soup before he gives it to them and they think that's very kind. Hector like is ready to tuck them into bed and they think that's very kind. One of the main things that he brings up is they wait, they, they, they're distraught and they gasp at something and Hector says, you guys seem very stressed out, you know, but um, you don't have to talk about it right now. So they, they put together a green flag and a good thing is that Hector is patient, Hector is kind and Hector is caring. And as far as the patience goes, he's not pressing them or grilling them with questions. He's just kind of waiting till they're ready to talk about something that could potentially be traumatizing to talk about. And they, at the second they see that Hector is not going to ask them or pry them with questions like every other person would normally do for their own benefit, um, that's when they describe. That's when they decide that things with Hector look okay and that Hector is kind. Um, this, this is a very, very important chapter, I think, for kids for kids to read, especially. I, I didn't particularly like this book, but that chapter, I think, is very important for kids to be able to tell, you know, if you want to know the difference between a good person and a bad person, instead of making a, an assumption at first glance and judging people on the first thing, because first impressions, as he's said before in previous books, are often wrong. So the main thing you can do here is look for a series of green flags and red flags and basically say, okay, a kind person would, would do this situation this way. Hector passes the test for every single one of those. And that's where, that's where they learn that they can trust by using their own judgment. Um, so anyways, I, that, that ties in to the main overall lesson that we've been 
we, me, talking, spitting into this microphone like a crazy person. That's the only thing that, that I feel like is the main thing here is just using your own judgment instead of blind, blindly trusting. And these kids have clearly gotten to that point now, especially after the Earthsats elevator when one of their guardians turns out to be an a-hole and working with Count Olaf anyways and betraying um, her wonderful husband who was very kind. So anyways, that is, that is, gosh, I'm, I'm so thankful if anyone is still listening to this, um, to still listening to stuff this long. I appreciate you guys. Um, the next book, the next book will be book number eight. Um, I, I also want to emphasize this too. I don't know if this is like an important, super important symbol, but I've read before in other things that a hot air balloon, which is the thing that the quagmire triplets flew off with, with Hector, um, that the hot air balloon sometimes can symbolize that the end is near and that good things are coming. Um, I don't know if that's actually what, what Lemony Snicket was trying to get at. It is a dope way to leave a town. So I, I figured that maybe that was more of the reason, but anyways, this is, this is going to be the end of this, this discussion on the vile village. I know that I've probably missed some things, but you know, let's just, let's just, let's just keep moving forward. We got a few more books to go. And I assume, I assume that the end book 13 is going to be so goddamn long. So I appreciate you guys. If you've been listening this far, um, and the next book that we will be talking about is going to be book eight, which is the hostile hospital. Um, the the way that this place left off is that the kids are just left down on the ground with this with this town. I assume Poe is going to show back up and do his horrible job of putting them someplace he doesn't care about, even though he got that promotion for doing a good job of taking care of orphans. And these orphans have seen nothing but misery the entire time. But anyway, so the, the this next book is called The Hostile Hospital. It will be its own episode on the on, all by itself again on Saturday mornings. Um, and... And yeah, uh, I've, I've made an Instagram account. If any of you guys have Instagram, it's just reading into it pod, um, where I'm just going to be posting memes, quotes, maybe reading schedules for the, for the following months about with following dates about how things are going to go. If you want to follow along and catch up and read books or see which dates released, which podcast episode, if you want to follow along that way. Um, so yeah, I think that's it. We have we have our email address of readingintoitpod at gmail.com. We've got the Instagram at reading reading into it pod. Um, submit your questions. If you have any questions, I'm happy to answer any of those. If you want to fight with me, I am happy to answer any of those as well or read out any letters. If you have any stories about that are connected to any of these books, you know, more than happy to read those as well. But Thank you guys for listening, and I I hope to I want to mention this too real quick. Sorry, I keep going on and on and on, but uh, I'm I'm hoping too that either before the thirteenth book, um, which we will finish up sometime in February, uh, before the end of the thirteenth book, or either immediately afterwards, I do want to put together an episode where we put together this whole mess of clues that Lemmy Snicket has given us from each book, um, and we'll figure out exactly what his what his role is. Um, in as a character in this book series because he is related and has talked to some people because that guy that that got murdered in this episode uh, he, he had a last name of Snicket as well um, who we can maybe safely assume is Lemony Snicket's brother who was wrongfully murdered in the vile village so anyways maybe we'll have an episode like that where we're dissecting all of that and finally putting it together because it is a mess you guys and 
every now and then we get new information and it's hard to keep it all in one track, especially if you're a kid. I doubt you're having this, this notebook and writing down to try and solve all these problems. But anyways, thank you for listening. Uh, I look forward to reading The Hostile Hospital with you guys and seeing what Lemony Snicket has to say from there. And um, yeah, th- th- thank you for listening to me ramble on and on and on. Uh, I'll, I will see you guys next week. Bye.